We're ending Perik Dalit actually. <coughs> Ramchal now talks about Torah. <coughs> what the significance of what the Torah is, and that it's the greatest. When you learn Torah, it's connected Kulam, which means it can draw down the greatest amount of divine force, energy. And it therefore creates the greatest amount of zikuch, you know, and, and so on, you know. So uh, I gave a lot of the ideas uh, about Torah in the Ramchal's site this year, which you can easily find out online. So I don't want to repeat those ideas, but what I would like to do is just give you some more ideas. The main idea was that when you learn Torah, and I'll, I'll mention, you know, the main idea is that when you learn the Torah itself, you draw down the greatest force. Now there are ten spheres, from Keser, Chochmah Bina, Chesed Gvur at first, Netzachod Yisoyed, and Malchus. Those are ten. And um, what you do when you learn Torah, which is the only one that does it, it can draw down the energy or the force, the Shefa, the Hashpah, from the first sphere, which is the greatest, Keser. And that, that sphere of Keser, which is the, the, the greatest sphere of all, is really the Sherish, the root of all the spheres below, you see. And that's why when you learn Torah, you can draw down from the highest place, which is the root of everything else, and that's why it's connected Kulam. That's why when you learn Torah, it, it's equal to all the other mitzvahs, because all the, all the other mitzvahs draw from different spheres. Whereas Torah draws from the highest, which since it's the root, ultimately, right, it, weigh, it's, it, it can weigh against all the other mitzvahs, all the other uh, spheres, illuminations that you can draw. This was the essential idea I said uh, in that year, although there's obviously a great deal more. Uh, and um, But there are, there are other ideas of terror which I think is really worthwhile knowing and so on. Uh, we know that there's a concept called uh, the 70 nations. Shivam Umus. Zayin Ayin Umus. The 70 nations of the world. In fact, if you count from Bracious Noyach, all the people that it said that he lived 800 years and he lived 900 years and so on, you know, they are, you will count 70. 70 people, which is interesting. So each one that lived those years clearly was a leader of what's called the 70 nations, you see. But the question is, what does that mean, 70 nations? What does it mean there are 70 nations, really? In truth, they're really not 70 nations. They're only 70 people. That's really what they are. But what does that mean? Uh, well, I had once said that each one is called a Sherish. In other words, before Avraham Avinu came, the Tikkun, the rectification of the Bria, of the creation, could be done, you see, by Adam. He alone could have rectified all of creation. You see, he failed. So therefore the rectification, the Tikkun process was given over toward the rest of mankind, whoever they were. But the truth is there was only one nation. As we find by the, uh, the, the Dor HaFloga, the, uh, the Tower of Babel, that generation when they wanted to fight with God, right? They wanted to fight and so on and so forth. <clears throat> that the, the, since they wanted to fight, so therefore God took away from them the power of Tikkun and gave it of course to Avraham Avinu uh, 
and then they became 70 nations. But who is the 70 nations? You see, what does it mean that there are 70 nations? Because even before God created the concept of nation or goy, uh, which, uh, which totals 70, and then there's the Jewish people, <clears throat> what is this concept of 70, you see? And how, what is, how does it connect to the concept of Torah? One of the, uh, now, what brought me, to, which is interesting, what brought me to thinking about all this was many years ago I gave a uh, scholar residence program to Syrians. You know, I was invited to give a program to Syrians, you know, whatever, and deal, actually deal in New Jersey. And I was there, I was in the, the, the shul. <coughs> Are you Swati? Yeah, but not Syrian. Not Syrian. Oh, you're, you're French, you're Moroccan? Yeah. Yeah, because French is... But in any case, so what happened was they had a, a very good chazan, you know, and he got up there and he did his thing, which is a beautiful uh, Swadi, you know, the way they do it, which is very different than the Ashkenaz. Have you heard of, have you ever go to ever hear Swadim? You know, have this beautiful, their Nusach, uh, their uh, whole uh, chant, if you want to use that word, it obviously is very different than Ashkenaz. But it was, it, this guy was very good, you know, it was really beautiful to listen to, you know. And I just sat there and I said to myself, what in the world is going on here? The, I, I feel like I'm in the Kasbah in Morocco. You know, I, I feel like I'm in, I'm in some Arab city and I'm hearing the, the type of songs that Arabs sing, if you ever hear their music, you know. See, but this is Jewish. This guy's singing the Chazan, you know, and this shul is a Syrian shul. You know, and he, I, I feel like I'm in the Kasb in the middle of Morocco. So I asked myself, what in the world is going on? You see? And I began to think and investigate. Why are there Svaldim and Ashkenazim? Because that's obviously what I'm listening to. You see? And why do the Svaldim sound so much like, so much like the Arabs? In their song, in singing. You know, the Ashkenaz don't sound like that. You know, Ashkenaz sounds more like opera singers. You know, they have, it's a, it's a whole different approach, you know, uh, of singing. You know, there's uh, Italian melody or whatever, you know. With the Svaldim, it's a whole different wail or however they do it. I mean, it's beautiful, you know, but why such a vast difference? And there's also such a vast difference in the culture, you know. I mean, there's stuff you can eat in the Svaldim, which, uh, you know, they don't even exist. You know, I think Chant is a new innovation by the Syrians, I don't know, you know, if they have their version of Tzom, although they probably have Khamen, which is hot food. Anyway, so uh, that was, that's what started me thinking. And I thought and thought, and I came up with the idea, the answer. And that's what I want to tell you. And what is its connection to Torah? So it's going to answer why are there Svalds and Ashkenazim all together, you know? Okay. We know that there are ten spheres. There are ten, okay, um, major um, forces that God uses to create reality. Okay, there's God, and then there's these ten spheres that He uses. They are spiritual forces, and these forces create realities. And I mentioned that there are five of them, right? There are five worlds, okay? Um, there's uh, the first world, which is the highest, which is Olam Haba. It's called Adam Kadmon. Then there's Olam Atzilus, 
right? And he's uh, Atzilus Bria. Uh, Atzilus is the world which is of emanations. Bria is creation. Yitzira is formation. And Asiya is the world of action. Okay, but if you look at these ten spheres, let's put away the first three, which is Kesech, Chochman, Bina, because those spheres are primarily the spheres that uh, activate and, uh, uh, and uh, influence in Ilum Habo. So we can look at not the upper three, which is called Gimel Rishonis, the first three. You look at the Zion Tachtonis, which are the seven lower spheres. And that is Chesed, Gevura, okay, there's Tferes, there's Netzachor, Yisoid, and there's Malchus. There are seven of them. And these seven spheres are what created this world. That's why there are seven days of creation. Okay, each sphere is responsible for creating a reality of that day. Okay, and so on. Now, each sphere of the seven, or actually all ten of them, they all have ten subspheres underneath them, which is identical. There's Kesser, and Kesser has sub ten subspheres, which is also Kesser, Chochma, Bina, right? Chesed, Gvura, Tveris, Netzach, Hoid, Yisoid, Malchus. So let's stay by that. We have ten, yes? And each one of the ten has also ten. Yes? Comes out that altogether, if you count these ten, and their subs, which is ten, spheres, is a hundred of them. Ten times ten is one hundred, correct? Great. Now, if we disregard the first three, that means we're putting away thirty of them. It's three, right? Plus it's ten. That means there are thirty subspheres we are putting away. So what's left? We have seven spheres that have ten subspheres, which is how much? Seventy. You see? Now those seventy spheres, okay, each one is a different facet of Durbanishlam or the the Durbanishlam and uh, the concepts of reality. Comes out, if that's the case. It's like a diamond. Imagine a diamond is, is, has 70 facets cut in it. That means whatever facet you're looking at will produce a certain light which is unique to that facet. Right? You turn a little, you see another facet, new light. Right? So it comes out that in a diamond if you have 70 facets, right? Each one will give you a different perspective or vantage point of the light in the diamond that goes through the diamond. Right? Fine, okay. It's the same idea. These 70 spheres, which is seven, really they're subset of, ten, of seven, because we don't count the original three, either in the regular one, the standard, or the subsets. You have 70 spheres. Why is it not 49? What? Why is it not 49? Ah, wait, that's a different cheshman. Because that's seven times seven. I know, but. Wait, wait, wait. Yeah, 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 wait, wait. Let me, let me just deal with this. You don't want the Yemei Sphira, right? Which is 49. But right now I'm, to I'm telling you... Uh, <coughs> so therefore, there are seven spheres that are responsible, right? For the uh, whole Ilm Hazer. And their sub is... Each one has 10. So there are 70 spheres altogether, right? And this is the spheres that creates what? That creates uh, the entire Ilm Hazer. <laughs> but what they really are, right? is each one is a different facet into God. It's a different facet into the Bria, each of these 70, you see. 
Uh, so, if you have all 70, that's the totality of the entire understanding of the reality. Okay? Of Ulam Hazer. Right? Got that? I'm building up, I'm, I'm giving, I'm leading you into a structure here, right? Where do you see this? Well, the first interest in Chazal, we Chazal say, Ayin Ponulam Right? It has the Shtim. Right? Ayin Ponulam There are 70 facets of Torah. Why 70? Like, you know, where did they get this number from? Right? And the answer is, because they are referring to the 70 spheres, subspheres, subsets, right? Of the spheres. And that is the totality of the Torah that is reflected to us. That's why there are Ayin Ponulam you see? Now, in order to make sure that Torah, right, is brought down here and understood, right, then Torah itself needs a tikkun. Each one of those things needs a tikkun. So if there are 70 facets of the spheres, and therefore 70 facets of Torah, there also have to be shivan tikkunim. There are 70 tikkunim. Because each facet <coughs> has to have its own tikkun, right? In terms of bringing it down here. Yes? Therefore, that gives rise to 70 nishamas. That's it. Shiv nefesh. Isn't that interesting? And where do we find the shiv nefesh? What does it say? 70 nefoshes, 70 souls entered Egypt. Why 70? <coughs> Why is that important? Because each one of them, of the people who entered Egypt, Shiv Nefesh, 70 souls, right? Each one was a Shurish that was connected to one facet. And it could do the Tikkun of that facet. You see? Nice. The way it's all, uh, uh, arranging. Yes? Therefore, there are 70 Tikkunim. <coughs> but originally, the, all you need is 70 Nefoshes. 70 individuals. Each one can do the tikkun. Got that? Good. Now, <clears throat> when the Rabbanishim gave, so in the beginning, the first 2,000 years, Adam had all 70 in him. You see? Okay? When he sinned, those 70 nefoshes those are the individuals mentioned, right? And all the other people, their descendants, are really enough from branches of that neshama, which is a shirish. Uh, you see? So each one of the 70 is a shirish neshama, a root soul, that can give birth to many kids, right? And each one of them is a subset of his neshama. You see how it works? But originally, there's only 70. That is the first amount, the only amount, because there are 70 uh, sub-spheres, and therefore each one is a different facet, each one is a different perspective of Torah, <coughs> and therefore each one needs one person that's a shirish of that, and they could bring a tikkun to that. You see, you see how it's being subdivided? <coughs> okay. And now we understand why 70 nefoshes have to enter Egypt, because the avoid of Egypt is now to, in many ways to undo the what? The chet of 2,000 years, if you recall. So therefore there has to be 70 people. Isn't that interesting? 
Great. Okay. Once the Bershom decided to do what? <clears throat> to take away the ability of these 70 people with all their descendants of doing the Tikkun. And he decided to give it to who? To Avram Avinu. Yes? So therefore, what happened was, is that all those 70 nefoshes, they became, instead of a shirish, to do the tikkun on that facet, right? They became a shirish of a nation. And that nation would be one of the 70. So it went from one individual to the nation. But they lost the ability to do the facet of the 70. Is that before Avram Yes. But when he switched it from them, right? So they remained 70, which I'll talk in a minute, and all 70 was given to Avram Avinu. You see? Isn't that interesting? That's why Avram Avinu now took on the tikkun <coughs> of the complete 70 tikkunim. He had it now. You see? That's why it says, and all the earth will be blessed through you. Because he now is the only one that can bring a tikkun Right? Of the 70 spheres subset. See how it works? And that's why it says, whoever blesses you will be blessed. Because they will receive, the Goyim will receive their tikkun through Avraham Avinu's tikkun. And whoever curses you will be cursed. Because you by cursing him, you're preventing him from doing the tikkun. So guess what? You will be cursed. You see? Makes beautiful sense. Got that? So we see that the 70, we understand the origin of 70, which is seven spheres and which is the 10 spheres of each of the seven, which is 70. And this is the totality of the facet of Torah or the ability to see the reality of creation. Because that's really what Torah is. You see, <clears throat> and it went from Adam to the 70 people you see, but once the Bershom decided to take away their connection to the 70 spheres, they still remain 70, but they are no longer connected to that sphere, and they no longer could do the Tikkun. All of it was Avram Avinu, you see. And there's a beautiful remez, which the, actually the Bnei Yisoscho says, which you understand exactly what he's saying. We know that the 70, how many, how many parm were offered on Sukkot? 70. Yes? 70 parm, right? Shivan parm. If you count them all, right? They went from 13, 12, right? Wait, 11, 10, 9, 8, 7. You add them all up at 70, right? And we know that the parm, the oxen that were offered on Sukkot, the Mizbeach, was really a tremendous tikkun for the Goyim, for the 70 nations. You see? Right? So therefore we know that a par on Sukkot represents 170th and there are 70 parim, right? Which is really a tikkun for the Goyim. You see, to allow them to share uh, in the rectification of those 70. So Avraham Avinu says a very interesting statement. Anoichi offer ve'efer. Yes, I am what? Offer dust, ve'efer and ashes. That was his famous statement, right? Well, if you look at the word offer and efer, Right? So the word Afer is Aleph Pei Resh. Aleph Par. Originally I was one cow. And now I'm what? Offer Ayin Par. I'm 70 cows. Now that is a beautiful remez. You see? That's Mamash what he said. Until now I was Afer, which is Aleph Pei Resh. 
Aleph pa, Aleph is one. I was only one cow, which means I what? I represented, I was one of the 70, right? So I represented only myself. But now I took over the whole job of all 70 spheres, which is, right? So all the shroshim of these individuals are now in me. And now I am uh, offer, ayin par, 70 param. The beautiful remez of what transpired with Avram Avinu, you see? And now you understand. So we now understand why there's Ayin Panam Torah, 70 facets to the Torah, right? Why there's Shivim, uh, Shivim, 70 souls went to Egypt. But did you notice that there's also 70 members of the Sanhedrin? That's interesting. Why? Because each one represented the facet or the ability to access the Torah in that facet. And in order for the Sanhedrin to be able to be the major conduit of the Torah, <coughs> you have to have the, uh, the ability of the Sanhedrin to do what? To access and perceive the totality of the Ayin Panam Torah. So each one can access one, right? And that one, therefore there are 70 <coughs> members of the Sanhedrin, right? And there you are. <coughs> Got that? Isn't that interesting? Good. Now, here's what you, becomes very interesting. What is the manifestation of a nation that has one facet? What is the manifestation? For instance, right? Before Avram Avinu, so I said that the 70 was where? Was in all the nations. There were 70 individuals with the Shrasham. They had all their kids. They were not called a nation because it was still only one nation. I mean, in fact, the terrorist says that. By the Doha Flog, the, the Doha Midbar, what does it say? Not Midbar. Doha Flog, the Tower of Babel, it says what? Vahi Sofi Echos. They were one language and one people, basically. You see? So the concept of 70 nations did not happen yet. But there had to be 70 Shrasham. So the question is, what's the manifestation of that? If it's not a nation. Or even if it becomes a separate nation. You see, and, but they can't do the tikkun. But they still retain some facet of their uh, connection to the ayin. But what, how does it express itself? And the answer is culture. Why is it you have all different kinds of cultures? You ever notice that? There's Mexican food, if you want to look at cuisine, right? There's Italian food, there's French cooking, right? You look at each nation. The, each one has a whole different culture. Isn't that interesting? Where does that come from? Why is it the culture of Mexico or Spain or France or Germany, you know, or Russia or South America? Like, what gives rise to all this? And the answer is, because that's what's supposed to be the Atikam. Each sphere, if they represent that, that's one of the 70, right? would give them a certain type of perspective on reality. And that would manifest in a certain way of living culture, you see. And what was expected is that through that culture, they would bring a tikkun to their cherish of the 70. You see, culture isn't arbitrary. It's not chance or haphazard. You know, Italians talk the way they do. How many languages are there? How many? Two. 70. Why are there 70 languages? There we go. We encounter the concept of 70 all over again. <clears throat> because a language is really an expression of 
which sphere are you connected to? So therefore, the first idea is the language becomes different, you see. So therefore, their culture, their cuisine, their art, their way of thinking, their way of talking, you know, certain countries talk with their hands or, uh, they, they, you know, just interesting anthropology studies, in, you know, the cultural anthropology and so on, you know. Uh, that culture and that nation re represents or reflects or is a manifestation of <coughs> the which shirish, which sphera are they rooted in? Even if they can't do the tikkun, but the root remains, you see. Isn't that interesting? Fascinating. Now, you may say, what? Maintain the connection, but they no longer can affect it. Correct, yes. Yes, because they don't have the neshama to do that. But the, but the influence of that sphera in terms of their culture remains. And that's why there's so many different cultures in mankind. You see? It would be great to understand the formula. Can we predict, you know, let's say, chesed chesed, right? Or chesed chesed. What type of a culture would that lead to? Yeah, I, I, to my, I don't know if anybody has ever done that or, you know, created that. But there clearly has to be an exact formula, you know, to what, what all this is. Now, you may say, wait a minute. There's 193 nations in the UN. So where's the 70 business? And the answer is, because politically there's 193. But in terms of their shirish, there's only 70. Because there are really many nations that are really one. For instance, Germany is Germanic. Austria is Germanic. You know, even France used to be Germanic. Because the original guys of France used to be the, the uh, what do you call it, the, uh, uh, the uh, Germanic tribes. Even Britain is Germanic. Of course, Queen Elizabeth doesn't want you to know that because she descends from Germans. You see, they, of course, she's never going to tell you that. You changed the name. What was that? I think the House of Windsor was the... It was the name. Oh, no, Hanover. Mount, Mount Bethlehem. Yeah, yeah, Hanover. I think it was Hanover, if I remember correctly. It was a real, you know, and that's, of course, German. Anyway, so... But there are only 70 roots. Even if there are more nations, it simply means that, like I told you, like the... Uh, each sphere has a shurish, and it has many descendants, so those descendants would will, will have fathered uh, more nations. But it's still the same root, you see. So the 70 nations, which is really what the UN, you know, really the 70, you know, that's really the totality of all the Shrushim that have been rooted into these 70 spheres. In fact, when you think about that, when it says that Goik from the land of Mogoik, he will bring the whole world against Yushalayim, the gematria of Goig and Mogog is 70. You see? Because they're not talking about all the nations. They're talking about what? All the nations that are all the 70 roots. And they are going to go against Klai Israel. See, that's why the gematria of Goig and Mogog is 70. Interesting, you know? So we, we're getting a feel here of anthropology. What gives rise and so on? Uh, you know, to, uh, to all the cultures and the, you know, all the different uh, areas of the culture, whether it be uh, artwork or music or science or the way they think, their cuisine, their media and so on and so forth. It's all rooted in the concept of 70 spheres. But Clients will took over all 70. You see?
interesting so far. And that's why you have all these 70s, like I said, you know, 70 souls entered Egypt. You know, you have the uh, 70 facets of the Torah, 70 Sanhedrin, 70 languages, you know, and 70 nations. It's all the 70. <clears throat> now, but as time goes on, <clears throat> all 70 are really gathered into two fundamental nations. So what happened? So the Jews that took over the whole concept of the 70, you see, so we now have to bring a tikkun to all 70 facets of, of, the, of, the, uh, of the spheres. That's what the Jew does. Now you begin to understand why the Jew has to wander, Golos. Because the Jew has to wander through all the 70 nations, right? And do what? What do we do? What? Pick up the nitsutsus. Yes, to pick up the sparks of holiness, right? But that's the outcome. But what do we do? When Jews, that's why, you know, you think about that. The Jews are what, 40 million people. How, there is no nation in the world that is so spread out like the Jew. I mean, wherever you, I don't care what, you go to Timbuktu, you're going to find, uh, I don't know if you find a minion there. But, you know, out of that I don't know. But you find a Jew. You know, it's astounding where Jews have located themselves. How's that possible? You know, there's only 14 million Jews, that's all there are. Yet, you go to Hawaii, you go to, forget about the, the 50 states, you know, they're all over the place, right? But you go, to, you go to Europe, you go to Russia, you go to South America, there's Jews all over the world. Right? All over the world. Why? What's the Indian of Jews going all over the world? Why is that? And the answer is, because they have to go wander through the 70 nations and they have to do the tikkun of that nation. Got it? But how? By adopting the culture of the nation and using it for Torah. Yeah. That's why Jews are in Italy. They're Italians. See, but when they're Italians and they do what they have to do, either mitzvah, shuva, yisurim, in Italy, right? And they have the Italian culture, right? They are Masakin Italian culture. They, whatever the Shurish of Italy is, they rectify that through the culture of, e of Italy. You see, you, you see what's going on here? Uh, it comes out <clears throat> that the Jews have to wander through all the nations. That's the concept of Golas. Because, the, the, uh, because, because the way a Jew does that is he adapts the culture of that nation because that's the culture that's rooted in the sphere of. And he becomes that nation, so to speak, but he's religious or he does the tikkun either through the mitzvahs, the repentance or suffering in that nation. So therefore he's able to rectify by having the culture of that nation, which is an exact, rep uh, what he called, reflection of that sphere, and he uses it for religious purposes, then immediately that facet, which gives rise to that culture and that nation, which this Jew now is, is rectified. Isn't that interesting? That's why the Jews have to wander through the 70 nations or whatever, the 193 political entities called countries. You see, and when they do that, what do they do? They gather what's called the sparks of holiness, which has been spread out, you see? They gather it and they restore it back 
each spark back into its relevant seventy. Isn't that interesting? What are they gathering it to? Well, they what? What does it mean that the spark was lost, and what are they gathering it to? Well, that's there was a kabbalistic event. It was called Shvir Sakalim, which means the bre- the breaking of the vessels. There were it was there was a certain amount of in- incredible what's called divine energy. The vessel that held it basically cracked, whatever, you know, and the sparks, and there was a certain amount that came out of the vessel and fell into the lower world. So what the Jew has to do is gather those sparks, spiritual sparks, restore them to the original vessels, and that, once the vessel is restored, then it's a repaired pipe or conduit that now allows the Shefa, which will change this world. And that's what happens in the Muslim Mashiach, and uh, and and Olam Habo and so on. The causing event was the Chetam of Arisha. What? No, the Shvir Sakelim happened. Uh, no, that w- that was an original event that has nothing to do with Adam. It had to happen <coughs> in order for man to have a task, which is to restore all the sparks back into its original conduit, and therefore the conduit b- would be repaired, and the Shefa, the flow of divine holiness energy, would come down and. And, and perform a zikuch, a purification. Yeah, well, the, wherever it's relevant too, exactly. Sure, you see? And that, therefore, that's the reason for Gauls. Because we have to undo what the, what the 70 people and therefore the 70 nations should have done. We need to do it. But the way we do it is through their culture. You see? Because that's a reflection of that sphere. So, if you want to bring a tikkun to Italians, you got to be an Italian, so to speak, with their culture, right? And, but to use that culture in terms of observing Judaism through that culture, and that will rectify their root of Italians. Same thing with America, South America doesn't make a difference, wherever the Jews are. And that answers the questions, how is it possible that of all the nations of the world, the Jews, 40 million people, how could they be so spread out all over the place? You know, and if you're a traveler, it's amazing where you'll encounter Jews. It's just like they're all over the place. You can't wonder how in the world did a Jew wind up in Mississippi? What's he doing there? You know, Oklahoma. You know, how do you get there? You know, you know what, what's a Jew doing in, in, in the, what do you call it, the Nairobi? They're Jews in Nairobi. You know, they're Jews in Addis Ababa, uh, Ethiopia. They're like all over the place. What are they doing there? You know, whether they know they're Jews or not, whatever. But they're all there to gather back, to do the teaching <coughs> through the culture of the nation that they're in, and they become that nation. I mean, they become that culture, and that's how they repair. Got it? Great. Well, that's all the concept of how is the tikkun done. They don't have to. Man. Look, when a Jew suffers, he's doing a tikkun if he even if he didn't know about the concept of tikkun. You know, the idea that means that that's an understanding of how does the tikkun process work, even. You know, and it works in different ways. You know, um, and so on. You know, and now we understand something very important because as time went on. All 70 shrushim roots, which have to have a tikkun, have now been gathered under two major nations, Edom and Yishmael. Yeah. 
So it comes out that the that all these shrushim have now been gathered. Thirty-five for Edom, thirty-five for Yishmuel, because Edom and Yishmuel is the chief of all the nations. You see, and therefore there has to be Jews where in Edom, which is Europe, right, right, and they have to become Europeans, right. And when they observe the Torah, when they engage in the Tikkun process, guess what? They will rectify Edom, which is what? Remember I said Edom, there's, uh, there's Rome, and then there's a Western civilization, right? So by becoming part of that country, their culture, they will be Masakin Edom, which is Masakin their 35 spheres. Who are they called? Ashkenazim. That's what an Ashkenaz is. And then on the other side, right, there's got to be people on the Ishmael, the Arabs, or the Muslims, right, that live their culture, right, that have their culture, and they live their culture, they have the same food, the music, same thing, but they use it, right, for Judaism's sake, mitzvahs and so on, right, so they, and they act just like the Arabs in that sense, you know, and then they will do a tikkun for Ishmael, which is a, a uh, which is a grouping of all 35 spheres on the Ishmael. You see? Isn't that interesting? And that's why when I sat there in that shul, listening to some guy, and I'm saying, what in the world am I doing? Like, I'm, I'm in the middle of a kasba in Morocco. That's what I feel like I'm doing, you know? Uh, or in Saudi Arabia, I hate to say it, you know? I'm listening to some Saudi Arabian chant, or whatever it is, you know? And so so that, that's why. Because here I'm an Ashkenaz guy, right? Right? And... I, 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 I don't have the culture of Arabs. They do. That's why their music just sounds just like Arabian. And their food is like Arabian. You see? And that's how they do the tikkun. And that's why they are Svadim, right? And Ashkenazim. You see? Isn't that interesting? Yes. You, have now, you now understand one of the greatest mysteries of all. Why are there Svadim and Ashkenazim? You know, what's the, what's the problem here? You know, you see? And that's why when you go into an Ashkenaz shul, you know, sounds more like an opera, you know? That, that, that style of music, it's called Western music, you know? And because that's the culture that we need to have to do the mitzvahs in that culture and massacre the root of that culture in the spheres. And when you're sitting in a Swadi shul, and you hear this, however they the wailing, and the twisting and turning, however they do it, you know I always admire how you guys do it. We get the voice to do that because I, I once tried that out. Boy, did I flop! <laughs> you know I you know yeah yeah you have to really know you know, and uh, and and uh, uh, that's what he does. So they, with, by by uh, representing that culture. In the, in, the, in the service of Judaism, Torah mitzvahs and so on, they are able to bring a tikkun to Yishmael wherever he's mushrush, rooted into the spheres. So therefore, between one and two, everything is corrected. See? In the end of time, guess what? There will be no Svadim. And there will be no Ashkenazim. That's gone. Right now, you have to have that. But in the Messianic era, in the Muslim Mashiach, there's no such thing as Sfadi and Ashkenaz. Basically, it's Yehudi, 
it's due because the need for that will have been gone you don't need that anymore because all, all of the sparks of holiness has been restored to the original place in the spheres you see of the fact that <coughs> to a great extent the cultures at least Jewish circles are starting to blend. Yes, that's very, I'm very glad you brought that up. <coughs> what you're saying is really, it's really very, uh, it, it profoundly stims. Why is it that Svaldim and Ashkenazim are now intermarrying? I hate to use that word, intermarriage, you know? Yeah, you have families that have son-in-laws, they're Ashkenaz, they have son-in-laws who are what? Syrians or Persians or whatever. I mean, you be, you be, you be much more often, you know, they're marrying out of their, out of their, uh, what can I say, out of their uh, fold. fold, yeah. And you have uh, Syrians who are taking Ashkenazim as in-laws. Uh, I mean, as uh, son-in-laws and daughter-in-laws and so on and so forth. What, and, what, and what's the meaning of that? And the answer to that is because the necessity of having two different, uh, basically two different cultures to make a tikkun in the original spheres is ending. You don't need any more. So they're beginning to merge, and the and the uh, and the uh, the boundaries between the two are being blurred, you know, because there's no longer a necessity to do it. You see, because all the tikkunim have been done, or we're almost at the end of both Yishmuel and Edom, and therefore uh, they're now sort of like intermarrying, uh, which is fine. Exactly, that's the reason why the the uh, the boundaries between the two are really ending and being blurred. It's very interesting to see because it would make sense, right? As you approach the end, what do you need it for? You see? Because originally, remember, we are all Jews to God, you know, Syrian or not, and so on. Of course not, you know. But that's really what we are to the Muslim and so on. Okay, I think any questions on that? Have I solved the puzzle? Yeah. And what's funny about all this is that what got me started is that guy singing. In the Syrian jewel, you know, uh, like I say, you know, I felt like I was in the Kasbah of Morocco or, uh, you know, or whatever, you know, Saudi Arabia or whatever and so on, you know. And, uh, and then I, I thought about it and I realized that's, that's the story. Um, <clears throat> uh, there is a going, I don't recall where, but in the Torah, I don't recall exactly where, the going says this, that there are 70 kobonis. I think 35 of them are Izim, goats, and uh, 35 of them, I think, are oxen. And the Goyen said, and that total 70, okay? And those 70, of course, are connected the, the, uh, uh, to correspond to the 70 facets of the spheres, you know? But he's, the Goyen says that the 70 Izim is the concept of uh, Edoim, because Ais, you know, uh, Asa was... Uh, Hairy like a goat. In fact, Seir, Haseir, Seir, you know? And the Purim is Ishmael. The Goyen actually says that. I don't recall exactly where, but there are 70 Kobanus or whatever, and 35 is for, uh, for uh, Edom, which is Ashkenaz, and 35. Yeah, okay. Uh, and, and 35 is a Par, I think I refers to Ishmael. The Vilna Goyen says that, by the way. Yeah, you know? Um, that may be Peradam Par he represented by a par you know that's a nice thought any connection to uh, the what? any 
connection to Adam Arishon, who was the first one who would be, who would be supposed to be the Tikkun, who was supposed to be the Tikkun. Yeah, well, he had all shit. To, to David Amelech, who is... Uh, 70 years. 70 years. Yes, yeah. Because probably each year was supposed to be, uh, uh, what do you call it? Well, the problem with the... the he and David, he's the one who is... Yeah. Well, there the problem is that Adam Rishon, when he said he was supposed to live a uh, thousand years, right, said he lived till 930, you know, so he gave, so he saw that David HaMelech wouldn't live, live at all. So he gave 70 years of him to David HaMelech, but the real idea is that Adam Rishon was supposed to be Mashiach. And since he failed, <coughs> he had to give 70 years to the real Mashiach, Ben David, and that's why he gave it to David HaMelech and so on, because since he failed, he was not the Mashiach, Ben David, he had to give it to uh, uh, David, David HaMelech, who obviously is the forerunner of Mashiach ben David and so on. You know, but there's again the concept of 70. Again, because it, it, what it probably means is that David HaMelech, all he needed was 70 years to do the tikkun of 70 in terms of Malchus, you know, his, his contributions and so on, you know. But you'll always, whenever you find the, the concept of 70, it always in some way connects to the 70 facets of the spheres. It always connects, you see. And, uh, it's all, but each one is a, just a different reason and expression for the concept of the 70, you know. Is there a connection between the seven shorshi of the 70 and the seven mazoras? The seven, the seven yeah. Uh, seven the seven mazoras has a spawn on each part of the world. It's brought down that each mazor, you know, gives you, let's say, you know, a mazor with a harder, so, uh, well, that's it, well, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, that's well, that's uh, that's uh, further on. Ramchal talks about astrological ideas. You see, now why is it you have seventy here, but by Shavuos you have only forty-nine? Remember that you asked that, right? How come here's forty-nine, there's uh, seventy, right? So that we know. So when you're talking about the tikkun itself, right, the tikkun rectification. Right, so you have to rectify all the spheres, correct? That's tikkun, right? So since there are there are seven spheres, the first the first three are for oilim haba, but there are seven spheres that created oilim hazeh, and each one has a subset of ten. So that's seventy. That's because you're talking about tikkun. But when you're talking about forty-nine by shavuos, then you're talking about removing the zoyama. Right. So the question is. W the Zoyama, which spheres does it affect? Right? So it only affects the seven of the seven. It cannot touch the first three. So therefore, the se from Chesed to Malchus is seven, and its subspheres, also seven, the Zoyama can touch. You see? So that's 49. That's why there are only 49 days. So to get rid of the Tumor of Zoyama, all you need is 49 days. Yes? Because there's only 49 spheres, so to speak, affected. But to do the tikkun, you need all 70. You see, you see the difference. That's why there's a 70, and that's a four. Everything has its cheshbon. You see? Okay. Now you can go back to being sfald and ashkenazim. You know what I'm saying? And you know exactly what the story is. You see? You know? But um, uh, hopefully this answers a lot of different uh, ideas and questions about the whole concept of the spheres and so on, you know. What connection does this have with Torah, which I, I right? Well, because there's 70 facets. There are 70 facets of Torah. 
and uh, you know, so therefore, you know, so, you know, Torah has seventy facets because there are seventy subspheres, right? And then, of course, uh, you need to do have the tikkun on, on to do to bring the Torah, the chef of the Torah, down, and that leads us into the whole concept of tikkun and so on, you know. But really, there are seventy facets of Torah. That's why the I am Torah. Through each sphere, you can see a different aspect of Torah. You were going to ask? What did we just ask? Well, I heard that there, there, was, there was such that that, that uh, era of Klai Yisrael, they didn't need to go out to Misakin to collect the Tiltos. The Tiltos came to them. Could so be. To yeah, oh yeah. Well, oh yeah, because they didn't go out. It's only after the, <coughs> the Beis Amigdash was destroyed, right, that the 70 are, are dispersed, and therefore we need now to go around. The 70 dispersed after the Korban? Yeah, well, that's when the Gullus really began. So the Klein School was really... Uh, so how did Klein get the... Because the cultures that needed, that were indicative of the of the Tzotzos, how did they collect those if they were still in... Who? They were in Eretz Yisrael until the, until the Gullus, let's say. They were in Eretz until the Gullus. They were in Eretz Yisrael. Oh, you mean, yeah, yeah, the historically, yeah, yeah. So how did they get, uh, I don't know, the Germanic tribes, or if they existed then... He did. For example, how did they get that Nitzos if they weren't leaving Eretz Yisrael? By marriage. So the uh, Shlomo Melch, he married all his wives proudly for this reason. Yeah, but exactly. That's why he married. We don't see Hiskiel doing it. We don't see... Well, yeah, I mean, in each time there's a necessity. Yeah. Then how did they collect it? They didn't. They, they, they needed plan B. Only Shlomo Melch was at that level. Yeah. So she gave them a wealth to get their act together, but they yeah. didn't. So yeah. Okay, so you got to go. Exactly. And uh, the name of that singer in Tanakh, he talks about Rabbi Yeshua, um, Das. Uh, it's Kingdom. Yeah. No, not Das Kingdom. Talmud Rabbi Shimon, he put out a whole sefer. Oh, your whole series. Yeah. So he goes through this. That, that Shlomo Melech was on that Madrega, but yeah. nobody else. The door wasn't even on that Madrega. Yeah. It was only him. Yeah. That's why he was able to try to. <laughs> Do it in, do in it his way. To the Hashpah uh, and the... Of the women, uh, of the yeah, wives uh, and all uh, that. Yeah. 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 So okay. The moral of the shir is when in Rome... Do as the Romans do, huh? But only as And keep buying kibba. Right? <laughs> kibba. Yeah, that's right, you know. Uh, okay, great. Thank you.